Welcome to the USRA Coalition's Let's Talk About It podcast, where we give you insights into mental health and substance abuse issues. In each episode, we'll have a conversation with a guest who will help create awareness in our communities around these topics. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Hello there, and welcome to Let's Talk About It. I'm your host, Michael Koth, and this program is brought to you by the USRA Coalition. Uh, On this podcast, we hope to bring issues to light that have been in the darkness for far too long. In the past, these issues may have been caused embarrassment, they may have caused shame, but now, in an effort to promote prevention and create awareness, we're bringing these issues to light, so hopefully you can learn from the experience of local community members, advocates, advisors, mental health professionals, and people of the like. And today, we have a very special guest. Before we get to her, once again, we are brought to you by the USRA Coalition. The USRA Coalition is a partnership between the boroughs of Upper Saddle River and Allendale, New Jersey. Members consist of elected officials, parents, school administration, police, health professionals, local businesses, clergy, and members of local community organizations. The mission of the USRA Coalition is to educate and create awareness in our communities to prevent and reduce substance abuse and other health-related issues. And that brings us to our guest today. She is a a member of the Board of Trustees on Hackensack Meridian Health and the Carrier Clinic, a local detox and rehab uh, facilitation center. She's also a founder of the Deborah Simon Center for Integrative Medicine, but more importantly, she is a mother, she's a neighbor, a friend, She's Mrs. Lauren Wright. Lauren, how are you? Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So Lauren, let's get right to it. You are here because you are an advocate in the area of substance abuse. Uh, You have done a lot of work in terms of opening clinics in the area. You're on the board of trustees at Hackensack, but uh, even to what got to this point, you uh, have suffered personal tragedy and you lost your brother, Carter, to addiction. So in all of your work and all of your travels and everything have you done, did you ever think you were going to find yourself in this position? No, that's, that's for sure. I don't think anyone ever thinks that they're going to end up um, at this end of the road. And um, it's, it's something that is very final. And I think that's what's the hardest part to deal with is um, that this person that I love so much is never, ever coming back. And, you know, the simplicity of hearing his voice and, Um, and sharing in good times and living our life together, you know, while here on earth is that chapter has been closed. So no, it's, it's, it's very difficult, um, you know, but one day at a time. So tell us a little bit about, of what brought you to this point. What was Carter's experience? How did that impact you? And and tell us, give us a little insight of what, what that road is like. Yeah. So, um, my brother Carter was uh, 31 years old. He was my younger brother. Um, I always like to share that my brother was um, kind-hearted, compassionate, sensitive, funny, hardworking, um, just an all-around really good human being. He was a, a, my brother, but he was also a son and um, an uncle and a godfather. Um, he is really missed by a lot of people. Um, he's been passed away about three years. Uh, this, we just um, acknowledged his anniversary this uh, September last month. Three years ago, he was driving through the town of Ramsey and stopped at a stop sign to let little kids safely cross the street. And a girl was texting and driving and rear-ended him from behind. 
Um, he already had a bad back and this accident kind of took that to the next level for him. Um, he had reached out to try different modalities that did not involve opioids, um, but ultimately the pain was too much for him to bear the day to day. Um, so he eventually was prescribed a prescription for um, his first round of opioids. And I think um, it hooked him pretty quick. Um, so I think what makes my story a little bit different from others is that my brother was 31. So he wasn't living at home. I wasn't seeing him on the day to day. Um, and because he was doing very well financially with his job, he was able to support his own addiction. Um, he was able to support his own addiction uh, through the various opioids for about a year. And that's when the red flags of addiction caught up with him specifically at work. Um, he was let go from his job. And I remember when that happened, I was like, well, what happened? Like, I don't understand. You've been doing so well. You've been there for years. You know, how did, how did you just get let go from your job? And he had a bunch of different reasons and, you know, excuses. Um, so when you obviously get let go from your job, that cuts off your financial needs. Um, and then that's when you turn to pills on the street, um, which can range anywhere from 20 to $25 a pill. That doesn't last you very long. At that point, your tolerance um, for your high has been built up substantially. Often then it's when um, your dealer or those who are using around you uh, glamorize the switch to heroin. And um, heroin can run anywhere from two to $10 a bag. Obviously it's incredibly inexpensive. Um, so he made the switch to heroin. Um, at first he was um, snorting heroin, which is the common first step with when you switch to that usage. And then um, he eventually started injecting. Um, so we were made aware of the fact that this was going on, um, right around the timing of when he had let, when he was let go from his job, um, he was renting a townhouse of a family member and some things had gone missing in the townhouse. Um, we thought maybe it was some workers that were in the house and we were able to trace back to where some of these items might've been sold. And they gave the exact description of my brother. Um, and we were pretty floored by that. Uh, my brother has never, ever been someone to ever lie or steal. Um, just a really good human being. Um, and that was very concerning. But even then, we still didn't think that it was ever heroin um, or drugs. I thought maybe he had an alcohol problem or maybe he had a gambling problem. So he had moved out of the townhouse um, and it was about a day or two following that uh, my family member was in the house, you know, getting the house in order and two men had barged through the front door looking for my brother. And my aunt had, you know, enough guts to kind of um, run back out of the house um, to confront them. And, um, you know, what are you here for? Are you looking for Carter? You know, why are you after him? Does he owe you money? Is he gambling? And they kind of just quietly like, you know, huffed and they said he owes us money for heroin. And that's how we found out that my brother was using heroin. And I'll tell you, I was at a Giants game with my husband when I got this phone call and it was like the fear of God running through my body. Um, it was like total white noise. Um, at that point in time, everything you were hearing on the news was people dying left and right from the use of heroin. I couldn't even accept or fathom the fact that those words were coming out of my mouth, that my brother was using heroin um, and I was scared to death. And um, I got a hold of him and you know, I said, we, we need to get a hold on this. We need to figure this out. You know, I'm, a, I'm the older sister, I'm a fixer. We're gonna get you help and we're gonna be good. This is gonna go away. 
not even so much from a shameful standpoint, just I need you alive and healthy. You matter to me. And um, he packed up his things and went up to a treatment facility up in Vermont. Um, what many people don't know is that you cannot enter a rehab facility if you are not detoxed. If you don't have health insurance, um, your options are an ER or detoxing on your parents' couch. Um, most ER visits are incredibly expensive. So a lot of people um, don't go down that route. My brother um, ended up detoxing on his mom's couch. It was about a three-day situation. Um, sweats, hallucinations, um, fevers, it just the detox or getting unsick as they call it um, is, is really, really brutal. Um, and that's kind of the first hurdle on getting through that. Um, and that kind of started the journey of us trying to get him help. And it was a year long battle, um, touch and go of it just being a really difficult, hairy time. Um, he eventually ended up in a, um, another rehab facility down in Southern New Jersey called Surfside um, structured sober living, which was a house for boys and men ranging from 18 to 35. You had everyone in there from state troopers to, you know, 18 year old boys. Um, he followed the program to a T. Um, he followed every step to a T. He was doing everything he was supposed to doing. Um, he had started to find his faith again. He was surrounding himself with really good people. The program director was wonderful. He had gotten out of uh, treatment. And um, about four months later, we, you know, we were slowly putting the pieces of his life together. Um, we had gotten him a place to live. Um, he had food in his refrigerator. He was trying, his next step and goal was trying to find a job. For my brother, you would think you, you would be most worried about him when he kind of had nothing going on. Sitting on a couch, didn't have a job. That's when I was concerned. And it ended up being the opposite. It ended up being when he kind of felt like he was back on top again, when he had gotten the job again, when he had started talking to a girl again, he had gotten his car again. And that's when I think the disease of addiction starts to play tricks on you. You know, you've had a long day and, um, you know, maybe you could just have a little drink or maybe you could go back to your old vices. And um, my brother came home from um, working a really long day and he was living with a roommate. Um, his roommate thought that he looked just tired from the day. He goes, I did think that he was a little off. He goes, but he also just worked a 12 hour day. He was exhausted. My brother went upstairs, he took a suit off. They watched a basketball game. Um, they eventually went upstairs privately to their bedrooms to go to sleep. Um, and my brother died in the middle of the night from um, a one-time heroin overdose. So it's pretty surreal. Um, obviously that heroin that he had injected back into his body was like shooting poison straight into his heart. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have this connotation that heroin or opioids or whatever, whatever it may be is a very dark, junky alleyway um, situation. And that couldn't be further from what it is for so many people. My brother died by himself in his home. Um, with a very close friend nearby that didn't think anything of this nature was gonna happen. They're all taught what to do if they see signs. And um, it was a real shock. I remember when I got the call, I, I was, I had to be very honest, I actually thought somebody killed him. I thought that somebody harmed him and, um, and injected, like I almost thought somebody knew that he was in recovery and injected something into him to kill him because it was so mind blowing to me that this was real and he was so determined to beat this. Um, you know, addicts don't want to be addicts. They do not want to live this life. 
Um, it is a life um, of obsessive compulsiveness in terms of their thoughts. It is a life where they feel completely unworthy. And if you do not have a support system, it is very hard to beat this. Um, and I mean a support system emotionally from your family and financially. Um, you know, insurance can be really tough when it comes to these things. And so that's kind of a very quick version of, you know, how we got from point A to point B. But it is pretty mind blowing to think my brother went from a car accident to pain pills to manage a, a back injury to dead from um, injecting heroin. I think you said it best, you know, surreal is probably the best way to describe it. I, I can only imagine, you know, you, you talked about so much within that, you know, first, just it, just in the sense of breaking the mold, that there are still people in our area that think heroin is relegated to, you know, downtrodden neighborhoods or a back alleyway. And really there, there's a new mold and the mold doesn't discriminate against anyone of any kind oh, of race or, yeah. class or any kind of socioeconomic status. I mean, you said your brother was, a, he was a fully functioning member of society. Fully functioning member of society. Um, and, you know, I, I think when I think about that, I think that, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And um, a lot of people who have never been faced with addiction, um, there's a lot of um, lack of awareness and education, some ignorance probably. Um, and I, I think another important, important part um, when it comes to addiction is it's a disease. Yes, of course, there's people who try things for recreational purposes. Um, and there's a different set of emotions that you could perhaps feel towards that situation. Um, but there's many people who were not planning to get to this end road in their pathway with it. And just like you would, if your loved one had cancer, you would put together a battle plan to help that person and you innately have compassion and wanting to help them. And I think that's where people need to understand that if you come from a place of compassion and really change your mindset to understanding that addiction is a disease, um, you know, not only are you going to help your loved one in terms of their journey and, and hopefully recovering from this, but just as being a good human being, you're going to have compassion for those that are going through this. And I think people would be really surprised of how many people they know are actually going through it. Um, you know, and I always say how my brother died did not define who he was for 31 years of his life. Um, you know, even my brother had said when he was snorting the heroin, he's like, I would never inject other people do that. You know, even when you're in the grind, you still don't think you're going to be that person. Um, but it's, you know, it really grabs a hold of your, your brain and changes the chemistry. And Dr. Diego Cora, um, who is a leading mental health and addiction um, expert um, in the United States, um, shared with me that it takes up to 18 months for the human brain to kind of like recoup and get its footing again. I have no clue. I don't have many regrets in terms of looking back and how I helped my brother, but I wish I had understood the disease um, and that it's kind of like a person doing push-ups in the parking lot, just waiting to pounce, waiting for you to drop the ball. Um, yeah, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. So. so on that note, for those who don't know, and they think they might be experiencing something similar to what you did, and your family. What are some of the signs in hindsight that you saw and you just didn't know at the time, you couldn't put your finger on it, but you know, it could have been a sign that, you know, Carter needs help sooner than you thought. Sure. So some of the signs for me, um, when I was physically with him, glazed eyes, you know, eyes that I blew off and said, he's tired. 
Uh, maybe he didn't get sleep. So, you know, bloodshot eyes, glazed eyes are a big sign. Um, my brother had a lot of excuses. We spent a lot of time with each other. And then it got to a point where he didn't want to come see my kids. He didn't want to come over and hang out with us. I had thought that it was because of his new girlfriend that we kind of didn't matter anymore. And he just wanted to spend time with her. I had no idea that she was experiencing the same thing on her end. So I think excuses and not wanting to be around. Um, you know, if things start to go missing, that could also be another sign. It could be something small. It could be something big. Um, and I think don't ignore your gut. Um, you know, our gut is our, our best form of intuition on a situation. I think our mind starts to take over. Um, and there were so many times when my gut flared and I ignored it because I never thought in a thousand years that this is what we were faced with. So um, I think if you start to see those signs, you know, ask questions, um, start to get involved um, and have open conversation. It's so funny you say that too, just trusting your intuition in so many different settings. You know, all too often we just try to rationalize something that something it's not, and we don't trust our instinct yeah. and pursue it. And in this case, you know, this could be life or death. So the fact that, you know, you could see something and just kind of just explain it to yourself or rationalize it as something else is really important. Something to steer you away from trust that instinct. That's great advice. Yep. So much of what you do now is fueled by your experience. And now you're trying to help others combat addiction. You talk about that 18 months. Tell us about it, a little bit of your work with the carrier clinic. So um, after my brother had uh, passed away, um, I knew that I kind of wanted to get involved in sharing his story, um, creating aware awareness as a family advocate so that no other family, either one had to go down this road or two could maybe handle it um, differently. Um, so I reached out to Hackensack Hospital and um, started having conversations with them. And, you know, one thing led to another and um, I ended up joining their board of trustees um, for Carrier Clinic. It's a facility in Mawa. It's actually the first detox facility um, and rehab facility in Bergen County, which is a, um, it's a blessing to so many. Um, I had mentioned earlier that you cannot enter a rehab facility unless you are fully detoxed. So at the Carrier Clinic, you will be able to fully detox in one facility with proper uh, medical supervision. And then once you are kind of through that road, um, you'll start your next journey um, as an outpatient. Um, and it's been a really therapeutic um, journey for me um, to be part of an organization like this and to be exposed to incredible genius minds um, and just creating awareness and, you know, infusing into the community um, some good. Well, in the meantime, I'm sure much like yourself, even though we're spreading the word of prevention and awareness, if this were to happen to someone, it's going to hit them like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And they'll, they'll probably have that deer in headlights look or yeah. that feeling. Where can people turn to in the meantime, if they're need, in need of assistance for themselves or their loved ones? Yeah. So there's a, there's a few, um, there's a few places that you can turn to. So I would probably say the number one place that you could turn to is Hackensack Meridian Carrier Clinic. Uh, it's called the Blake Recovery Center. Um, they were recently ranked number one in addiction treatment in the center of New Jersey by uh, Newsweek magazine. They are a wealth of information. They can certainly be your first phone call. I would imagine families might be coming from a place of panic um, and they can help put together um, next steps and where it might be an appropriate place for your loved one to get help. Um, there's also an organization called Parents Support Group of New Jersey. Um, the parents can also reach out to, and that's more support in dealing with your loved one as they're going through this process. Um, then there's also Narcotics, uh, Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous. 
Um, I will say that for my brother and a lot of his friends that were in recovery with him, even though um, they were hooked on opioids and um, various narcotics, they specifically followed the AA program. Um, many of him that he, many of the boys that he was in recovery with are really doing incredible. So that's just something to consider. You kind of have to find your right placing in these groups and what works best for you. Um, and then there's also um, another organization called Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration. The number is 1-800-662-HELP. Um, and hopefully we can uh, list some of the information so people can maybe take a screenshot of it. Um, and that would, that would be where I would start, but I think Carrier Clinic would be a wonderful first step for people um, to help them along in this journey. Okay, well, terrific. Well, listen, we've come down the home stretch. We're almost to the end and we're to a segment of the show we're starting up where we want to punch it in. Okay. We want to put it in the end zone. We got our first and goal segment. So we got a series of four questions on third down. You can punt, you can kick or stick if you want, but are you ready? Can we go ready. through this? I'm ready. All right, listen, first down, first and goal. It's a rainy night. You're at home with the family. What's the favorite family movie? The right family. What are you guys putting on? I have to say the other night we just watched Rudy. No, that is great. It was giving me all the fall feels. It was Terrific. so good. I was bawling like a baby at the end of it when he's running onto the field and got his, you know, five minutes of glory there. But uh, that's a classic. And my boys, uh, my daughter could have cared less, but my boys loved it. Oh, man. And what about the clapping when he came back to practice? It's amazing. That's I, know. <laughs> I know. All right. So, listen, you have a lot going on. You have a family. You're uh, an advocate, a philanthropist. You work. What do you do to unwind? What's your favorite thing? I spend a lot of, to uh, a lot of time up at Ramapo Reservation. Um, I find that kind of grounding myself uh, out in nature chills my mind out. Um, I would say a lot of time outside, spending time with friends, um, spending time with my family, um, running around outside with my kids doing sports. Um, I'm definitely more of an outdoorsy girl when it comes to decompressing and, and unwinding. I had no idea. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I am. You can catch me in the woods a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, you're on the move. Uh, you're hitting a rut. Favorite coffee shop. What do you, where do you go for a pick-me-up? I have to say I don't drink coffee. No. Um, I don't drink coffee. I've never been a coffee girl. However, I was in Whole Foods yesterday, and I did just pick up some turmeric and ginger tea. All right. Good with uh, reducing inflammation. So I'm going to give that a go and see how that goes. But, yeah, I'm not – I'm more of like a mocha frappuccino girl from Starbucks if I had to grab uh, something quick. Okay. I'm not so much a coffee girl. So tea here and there and a mocha frappuccino if I can. All right. All right. But well, listen, it's fourth and goal. Kick or stick. You punching it in or we're going to kick it? No, we're going to let's, let's go. Let's go for it. All right. You had a chance to sit down and have dinner with any person in the history of the world. Who is it? Oh, um, I mean, is it like too cliche to say I'd love to sit down with God? No, <laughs> I'd love to, uh, you know, I'd love to really know, you know, is, is heaven really there? And um, is there an afterlife? And will I get to see my brother again? And so if I could have that opportunity to know that I could kiss him and hug him again, I would, I would take a dinner with God any night. Well, listen, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong answer to that question, but I think you just hit the right answer. Oh, so. Thank you. But you know, once we get off this, I'm going to come up with like 30 other people that I'm like, this would have been good too. That's what the show is for. So listen, <laughs> good things are going to happen if you keep on doing what you're doing. You are uh, doing our society and your family a good service by doing this. Thank you so much for coming on the program this time around. Hopefully we can have you again. You can tell us more about what's going on in, uh, in this, uh, this realm. 
I'd be happy to. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks so much, Lauren. And thanks so much for tuning into this edition of Let's Talk About It. Hope you enjoyed listening. But more importantly, we hope you pay it forward. Again, we're bringing these things to light and out of the darkness for your awareness and in the name of prevention. So please, do yourself a favor. We have a lot of resources available to us, a lot of new technology. Go old school. Pull up a seat to the table. Sit down. Have a conversation. Because if you don't, and you're not at the table, you might be on the menu. That's it for this time. Have a great one. We'll see you next time. Stay safe. Take care.